Okay, so here we are back again, uh, back into the book of Acts. Now we took a little break in Acts 8 through 14. I believe the last time we were together, we were talking kind of around Acts 12, somewhere in that vicinity, James getting killed and Peter's escape, somewhere in that vicinity. But we've talked about a lot of different things, of course. And uh, and Ben, although he's not here today, informed me that I think this is actually episode 120. I've been saying it for like the last probably <laughs> five or six weeks now, but um, but this, in fact, is episode 20. We have with us uh, Johnny, Dave, Mike, Lenny, and we have uh, special guest James Gow with us today. Welcome, James. Glad to have you here. Thank you. And uh, and myself, of course. And Ben is uh, is sick with an undisclosed illness, which he didn't disclose to us, and we are very grateful for that. So <laughs> anyhow, uh, we're hoping that he feels better soon though and we're going to jump in so uh we've been reading this for quite some time now but is there anything that stood out to you guys as you've been reading it uh this past well i don't know however long it's been well judah said that we were left off with uh, chapter 12 but we're known to skip around i think my colleague johnny does that better than anybody (laughs) i over the holiday season christmas christmas i had been thinking about forgiveness a lot and I think it's uh, Matthew 6, verse 14, just to skip there for a minute. Uh, And Jesus says something to the effect that if you forgive others their trespasses, Hmm. your heavenly Father will forgive you. Is that that about it? Yeah, if you want me to read it. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And then verse 15 reads, but if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. How does that relate to Acts? Well, I had gone back and read the chapters that we were assigned that we're studying here, and I focused on, it's in chapter 9, excuse me for going back, but chapter 9, it says forgiveness was heavy on my heart, uh, and that's why I went back to Matthew, but chapter 9, we find Saul's conversion, and we've talked about this, but so not going into the conversion, but talking about Ananias, somebody who doesn't get a lot of mention in the Bible, but there's something very important about him. And, it, and again, we talked about how we read and something comes out again to us. And this is what happened. It says in, I'm going to pick up in, uh, this is after Paul's speechless and he's struck blind in chapter 9, verse 10. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, saying, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. I've shown him a vision. And so he goes on, and I'll skip over to 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. Going down to 15, the Lord says, just go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. Now, anybody who's read this or knows anything about the Bible, we know what Paul did. He killed Christians. He persecuted them and then murdered them. He stood there while Stephen was martyred. He held people's coats who were cast in the stones. We've learned that. Think about putting yourself in Ananias' position and relate this to forgiveness in the verse I just had Lenny read. Would you be like him? Did he start out with recriminations, with, with, with judging Saul? No, is the answer. No, we didn't do that. God tells him in that vision that Saul is his chosen instrument. So Ananias goes, and this is continuing in 17, and finds Saul. He lays hands on him. He says, says, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight. 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul regains his sight. Also, think about the expression. And I, I didn't look up the Greek or the Hebrew or the, the exact translation of this, that you might regain your sight. I think for me, it goes beyond just the sight in your eyes. I, 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 it just hit me as I read it over again. And it didn't the first couple times. But over, over the holiday, I'm reading this, and I say, it, it's not just sight. Because I, I keep folks on that, wow, he was able to see again because Ananias touched him. That's not it. It's he was able to see again spiritually. What, what, what was he doing? He was persecuting Christians, and the Holy Spirit, God, allowed him to see again what he really should be doing, the, 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 the wrong things he was doing and, and how he should become righteous. Back to Ananias and forgiveness. I don't know, would, would we forgive somebody like that? Do we forgive somebody like that? Do, do we make forgiveness a centerpiece of our lives when something like this happens? Ananias is a Christian. He should be afraid to go down to Straight Street. By the way, Straight Street at the time, it was in Damascus is what we're talking about here. A little history, Jimmy. <laughs> Damascus is, was a main artery, and it was a, a, the, the street was wide, and on either side of it were, were merchant booths. So this place was crowded. If I'm Ananias, I'm not going there. I'm a, I'm a little afraid to go down and find Saul. This guy might kill me. How would you feel? So I want to open up with that, with forgiveness. Well, and I've thought about that before when we discussed it last time. It's like God always accomplishes what he sets out to do. And I wonder if he had appeared to anybody else prior to Ananias to go and talk to Saul, but they didn't do it. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, it's, it's just like, and, and how often do we feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something and then we don't do it? It's like, you know, you know, you feel the prompting to share your faith with somebody, to, to open up a conversation, to ask somebody, hey, can I pray for you? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. Like, what if they think I'm weird? What if this? What if that? What if whatever? And we bypass the opportunity that the Holy Spirit is giving us. Now, here the stakes are even higher, like you pointed out. Now it's, it's a life or death thing. It's, I mean, because if Ananias is not accurately hearing the voice of God, then he very likely will get arrested and thrown into prison. Right, so he's got to be like pretty darn sure yeah. this is God speaking to me. And then on top of that, he's even still arguing a little bit with God, yeah. being like, hey, yeah. hey, in case you haven't noticed, God, have, have you noticed who this guy is? Like, like this is not— this Do you is know not, who you're sending me to? Right. This and, is crazy. And, and, and it's like to go there, it's like like going, uh, being fed like a sheep to the wolves. I mean, it's like I, I got to go out there. Like, we've already been bracing ourselves. Perhaps they already knew that Saul was on his way. They're already bracing themselves for upcoming persecution. And now the Holy Spirit is like, go and find him and pray for him. I mean, it, you might just be like— I don't know, like, is this really God? Is it not God? And to be honest, like, I don't know. I don't know what I would do in that situation. I, I would love to say the Christian thing, like, oh, of course I would be like Ananias, and I would go. But I don't know, there's a self-preserving side of me that might be like, you know, I'm not so sure. We all have that, and that's why I asked that question. And, and you say Judah, he, you know, he could have been thrown in jail. But, but beyond that, no, he was risking his life. He's risking his life. Paul was a dangerous person to Christians. He was risking his life. He did not know that this was going to be the conversion of Saul. He, he's there, as, as, as Judah pointed out. He, he turns to God and he goes, do you know who this guy is? 
in, in, in what, he, what he could do to me, but he went anyway. And, and Judah mentioned something just now, the Holy Spirit. Throughout the book of Acts, we may have mentioned this before, the Holy Spirit is working throughout the whole book of Acts, everywhere, in, 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 in no place more so than right here, where, again, let's ask ourselves, would we do that? I, I mean, just to go out and to, to tell someone, hey, you know, you, you, would you want to come to church? You we don't, we're not risking our lives when we're doing something like that. Ananias was risking his life, but he gave forgiveness. I want to touch on one thing, too, in that verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 11, because in my translation, there's, a couple, there's one sentence that's added, and it says, he is praying to me right now. And I, I don't know why that, that stands out for me so much. I guess it's because... He like the Lord is affirming to him like, hey, he's talking to me. I I I want to send you. I want to send you. He's talking to me right now. He's he's uh, pouring out his heart, all his concern. I mean, he, they're not gonna. That's not all written, but I'm just wondering if, if that dialogue was there, maybe I would have a little bit more angst to just go do it. But instead, he just shows the, the a good attitude to just go do it. Yeah, that's great. I I, I have that line. He is praying to me. That's that's interesting because that's. He's talking about Saul is praying to, right, right. Uh, God is telling Ananias that Saul is praying to me right now. And That's, it wasn't an, until a couple months ago where it was in our prayer when we wrapped up after our Bible study where we started to pray for each other because we know that we're helping others carry their burdens. We're helping others uh, confess and, and, and give their hearts over to God, but we're also not leaving them there. We're trying to link arms and build God's kingdom together, right? So I know that you, Dave, are always... Uh, uh, helping others, uh, extending a, a link or what have you, an olive branch, right? And I want to be able to pray for you when I think about you so that way you can continue to be strengthened, to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to continue to do those things. I appreciate that, and I need that. Yeah, so that's the law of Christ, right? Like, we don't live under the Old Testament laws. Most of us here, we could confidently say that we're not raised as, like, Hebrew Israelite Jews, right? And so we don't live under those 613-ish laws of the Old Testament, but we live under a really simple one, which is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And who your neighbor is is actually the person that you least expect or even your enemy. And, and what does that look like to actually love God with everything you have? According to this law of Christ, it means to share in each other's burdens, which is to live in the law of Christ. It means to pray without ceasing. It means to serve others, and regard them as more important than yourself. <clears throat> it means to actually obey Christ or the promptings of the Holy Spirit and to pray for wisdom and discernment that when the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart or perhaps the voice of God or, or a dream or a vision like we see here in the book of Acts, that you actually are remaining in Christ Jesus mm -hmm. and holding steadfast yeah. to what those yeah. instructions are. And that's what every person truly wrestles with when you're wrestling with God, which is the definition of Israel. The name Israel means to wrestle with God. So each of us wrestles with God. And what you have to remember is that God is truly sovereign and his will and his, his victories are always what prevails. And whether you see it in the first book of the Bible where the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, right? Or you go all the way here to where Jesus ascends on a cloud to go prepare a place for us that he himself is coming back to collect us. The Gentiles have been part of this plan. And at one time we were all as the Hebrew would call it, the goaim, like the, the, the pagan, the heathen, the Gentile, the non-Jew, that salvation comes from the Jews. It starts there in Jerusalem, and then what? Judea, and then Samaria, and then the ends of the, the, the earth, right? The rest of the world. So we're the torchbearers for the gospel that God has been proclaiming through since Genesis, all the way through to Revelation 22, right? So 
what are you charged with but your obedience to God, to stop fighting against God, that he is Lord, that it's his will in your life, that you put both hands to the plow and that you don't look back. So I'm actually in Acts 15. I know this is like, you know, typical of me to jump around, right? So Acts 15. 15? We're not even reading 15 yet, Johnny. Come on. It's, it's, it's important, though. Listen, right? I'm just busting you. <laughs> and to give you the context, yeah, this is like, you know, Peter, Barnabas, and, and Paul and everything. But it says in verse 8, in God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as also he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them cleansing their hearts by faith. So the very act of God granting you faith cleanses your heart and can give you the Holy Spirit. Just like when the scriptures, Jesus says, I can only have who the Father gives to me and who he sends to me, I will never cast out or cast away, right? So the Father draws people to Jesus by faith. Well, how do we get faith? The Bible says that every person is given a measure of faith by the Father or faith comes from hearing or reading the word. Moreover, it says in like James, don't deceive yourselves and just be hearers or readers of the word, but be rather doers of the word. And this goes back to in Luke. It's also Matthew, but it's uh, I think it's like Luke 8 and Ma- Matthew 13, where it talks about the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow seeds in a field one day. And as he walked along the path, some fell on the ground and were trampled underfoot and the birds of the sky came down and gobbled them up and they never had a chance to grow. The second type of ground was rocky soil, and there it got the sunshine and the rain, and it sprouted up really quickly, and then it died and burnt. The third type of soil was like thorny soil. There was other plants there, and there it overshadowed and choked out the seed from growing into full maturity. But the fourth ground, the good ground, is where the seed took root and sprouted up and became a big, beautiful fruit tree and dropped more fruit and seeds and and so on. And so it's like we're called to be mature in Christ. So when, you know, Brother Lenny here is talking about serving others like Dave's service to others or the building up or the edification of the churches, which is what we're seeing here with these gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit, that fanning into flame, that exhortation is what takes us to iron sharpens iron. So one man may sharpen another. And that's what is the edification or the building up the church, taking believers and bringing them onto maturity because we are partnering with God, with the good news of the gospel. We do rejoice like he says, I say it again, rejoice. We know the victory is already in Christ. We're not operating out of the spirit of, oh, oh we're, we're struggling. No, 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 no. The victory, it's complete. Do you actually believe it though? And to get the rest of us to be on the same page, that all we have to do is just do his will. So it's like, that's what this whole book of Acts is about. Is It's about being empowered by the Holy Spirit of the living God that raises people from the dead and parts seas, that you could lay on hands and bring... Peter brings Tabitha back to life. We're going we're gonna to get there, but it's like, how incredible is that? And it's like, where is your faith in your, in your journey? Are you just going to church? Are you just going through the motions? Are you just doing your devotional, your Bible study weekly, or, or what your small group or whatever it is? Or are you actually operating in the fullness of the joy of Christ? Well, you, you know, an interesting thing, kind of back to what Dave, uh, the verses Dave was talking about, is where... Ananias does go, and this is chapter 9, verse 18. It says, instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. And it's like, always just kind of like, like, what was that? Like, I mean, it's just strange thing to kind of picture and imagine. But something that, that always, like when I saw the movies, um, it kind of like struck me as, I don't know, I guess similar. If, if you guys seen any of the Lord of the Rings movies. And I think it was, was it the, the King of Rohan, was it? 
who has had his mind poisoned by that sorcerer. Do you know, you know what I'm talking about? Graven Wormtongue. Yes, there, there you go. Thanks, Johnny. Graven Wormtongue. And That's who it is. Yeah, I love Tolkien. Yeah, and, and so there was that scene where where the king is on the throne, and, I mean, he just, like, looks so haggard. And and then the, the sorcerer is there, and then Gandalf comes in and basically, like, I don't know, delivers this guy from this, you know, whole stronghold that he has, the sorcerer. And before your eyes, you see him transform from, like, this old and haggard person to, like, now the king that he should be, right? And that's kind of what I picture this in a way, is it's like the scales are falling off his eyes. It's like the old man is being replaced with the new man. Um, but in, in similar ways, it's like, do we ever find ourselves in a situation where we have scales on our eyes, spiritually speaking, right? Where, where like you said, you're, you're going through the motions. You know, you, you, you get up, maybe you go to church, you know, maybe you don't. You, you're just going through the motions. It's all just this and that and whatever. And, and there's no passion. There's no zest. There's no... Like the, the psalmist says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, right? Mm -hmm. It's the restoration of the joy. Mm -hmm. It's not the restoration of the salvation. No. It's like you've got the salvation, but right. many of us, we've lost the joy. Right. And it's like, restore unto me the joy of salvation. So then, why? So then I can teach sinners your ways and or, or transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted, right? And it begins with having the joy. And we see what happens right here, right? So, I mean, theoretically, you could say Paul was already saved at the conversion experience when the light came down, but then the scales fell off his eyes. It says, then he got up, he was baptized, he ate, and the very next thing we see, verse 20, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, because now he's got that joy of salvation. The scales have fallen, and now he's out there. And so, so there, there's one side, it's like, well, what are the scales in our own life? But another thing is that if we're not if we don't have the joy, if we're not actively sharing our faith, then perhaps it is because there's scales there. Perhaps we're being weighed down and by the cares of this world, we're getting distracted. We're, we've put our hand to the plow, but we're looking back, so to speak, and, and there's things that are keeping us from advance even we even with the reference you said to lord of the rings gandalf he he gave him his power back so that way like so he can appear to be the king that he was actually supposed to be well we're all rightful heirs to that to the throne we're all supposed to be you know uh filled with the holy spirit and and, and being able to do immeasurable things that we can never ask or imagine yeah we, we have to realize that the devil one of his greatest tactics is complacency seriously like just getting you to just be like I love Jesus, but I'm not going to do anything about it. So the question was, Ananias with his attitude, like he didn't like, he just questioned, do you know who this guy is? But the Lord did answer. He said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the Kings and to, and as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. We all are suffering together for his namesake. Well, let's take that, what happened there with Ananias and, and Saul, and let's relate it, which I like to do to our lives today. What, what do we do today? Uh, and, and we did ask this before at the beginning of this, you know, what the question was, what, what would we do? But let's say we see somebody that, we're all sinners, but that, that needs help, like, like Saul did, that needs to be restored, that needs to be reclaimed. What if we gave... Instead of turning away, and I'm not saying that we do that, but sometimes people shun others because of one reason or another. But what if we gave those people a welcome like Ananias gave Saul? 
what a welcome that was, right? It, it, to me, uh, that's Christian love. I, I think the centerpiece of being a Christian, the centerpiece of Christian love is forgiveness. So what if we did that? What if, and, and I don't just mean we here, all of us, everybody did that. We gave those people who are down and out, who may have done something wrong, who may be sinners, who, who may be beyond the pale to us. What if we gave them that kind of welcome that Ananias gave to Saul? Would we be able to reclaim them or restore them? Dave, your, your point of the blindness or the, the scales on the eyes. <clears throat> if I go into church, say I'm in a resentful mood, I'm just I'm angry at the world or whatever. Somebody cut me off and I'm all fired up and I head into church. My mindset's in a totally different place of having that uh, that welcome, per se. If somebody coming in, and we always pray before church, and Judas says, hey, go out of your way, say hi to somebody that you don't that you haven't normally said hi to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure enough, I'm standing, talking to my buddy, who I always talk to right by the camera, and I'm hanging out, and this guy walks by, has this cool beret on, and says, hey, I'm, I'm James. And he turns and goes, hey, we have this nice little conversation. I was in a good headspace, and I goes, yeah, I've been coming here for about a year, but I haven't really had much of a deep conversation with anybody, and, and are there small groups or are things going on? And we start, we have this awesome conversation. His name's Jim as well. We have this awesome conversation, and he's coming tonight. And he's been coming for a while, and I met his wife, Beth, and we had a great conversation. But point being is the, that blindness can be rage, anger, resentment. Right. And yep. Not paying and attention. Exactly. Right. And then all of a sudden you, you come head. into church, you're like, ah, you just feel free. You feel fired up to welcome people. I think it's a, that, that's part of that blindness. I, I think Dave hit the nail on the head, though, when he talked about love and forgiveness, because why is there even a division back then? Because remember, there's no New Testament at this point. This is just the Old Testament. What is the, the division if you're a Hebrew Israelite? is that we know the truth about God and these people are sinners. Right. These people don't hold, they don't keep the Shabbat, they don't keep the <laughs> Sabbath. If these people are wicked and we're righteous, right? They, tr they were literally showing partiality and what they needed to do was forgive them and love them. And that's what's happening in the book of Acts. You see it with Cornelius, right. that he receives the Holy Spirit when Peter goes after you know the whole right. the sheet comes down like we've talked about, but yeah. And, and you also see it in other places as well. And, if you look back into the Old Testament, you'll see it in the genealogies of Jesus, that there are people who are Goaim or Gentile that are in Jesus's bloodline, right? Yeah. So how interesting is that, that they've been part of the plan from the beginning, only the Hebrew Israelites didn't know that. They, they were only going by what they knew. And that's the great mystery that's being revealed in the book of Acts is that God is for everyone. He's for you. He's for me. He's for the drug addict, the alcoholic, the tattoo artist, the murderer like Moses, the Egyptian, the whoever. I don't know about the tattoo artist, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right, boys. All right. I, I, I gave him my best. <laughs> how, about, how about the insurance agent? Yeah, no, whoa. <laughs> well, <laughs> now we're going. Oh, here we go. So the lawyer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. oh, no. The politician, no. But really, Man, though, it's like, added. but God is for you. And if he's right. for you, who could be against you? And right. the minute you start to believe God and understand that he is holy, who God is, and then you understand who you are, his creation for his glory, that he made you to be a vessel for his pleasure and his enjoyment for all eternity. And then you realize what sin is, and that's why you don't know God is because you've been separated because you've been the Lord of your own life. And then you realize who salvation is. So now you know who God is. Now you know who humans are. Now you know what sin is. And then you see who salvation is, not what salvation is, but who it is. And then you realize that that's the thing that connects us back to God in this beautiful loop and how he's making all things new, and that everyone is invited. It's this exclusive claim, 
There's only one way to get to God, and that's Jesus. Right. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Yeah. But everyone is invited. So it's exclusive, but everyone's invited. Yeah. And, and the thing that's interesting, too, is you were saying that, you know, about the the Gentiles and everybody, how it's, it's open, and, and the Jews kind of had this almost a superiority. They were gatekeeping. Yeah. But, but the reality of it was is we see— shadows of this in the Old Testament even. The, the Jewish people were the chosen people because they were going to bring the Messiah. Like the Jewish people were the chosen people because they were selected to point others to God. And, and you look back and they had they had indications of that. I mean, right? Like like with the, the king of Salem, right? Uh, Melchizedek. It's like Melchizedek wasn't a Jew. And yet, I mean, this is before the Jewish nation was even founded. And yet we see Abraham offering tithes to, to Melchizedek. And that's Jesus was a high priest, of course, in the line of Melchizedek. And then we see um, the, the whole book of Jonah as well as the book of Nahum, I believe it is, those are both about Nineveh and about the salvation of Nineveh, which is like... like Rahab, right? Right, yeah, you see Rahab. You see all these, like, like the, the people of Ai who came and they tricked, you know, the Israelites and buy with their, with, with their moldy bread and moldy cheese and all that, but yet they became, you know, uh, part of, you know, the, the promise, so to speak. So it was always open to everyone but God was trying to preserve this line to bring about the Messiah who would ultimately save the world. And, for, and so from, for, for uh, Saul or Paul to come on the scene too and then to have his eyes opened like that, I mean, physically his eyes being opened is one thing, but spiritually, I mean, obviously there was a salvation side of things, right? And that's one eye-opening experience, clearly, but then the other eye-opening thing is is the acceptance of the Gentiles because we see Peter, you know, we talked about this before, the whole deal with Cornelius and the sheep being let down from from uh, from heaven. How many times did the sheep come down before Peter listened? Three times, three times. And which again I think is ironic. Peter in this number three, how he's denying <laughs> Jesus three times, and then Jesus is saying, "Do you love me?" three times, and then now he's got the sheep. It's like, okay, I gotta let the sheep down three times. Peter's got someone. This number three. It's like the third time. I guess charm, you have Peter. your honeymoon phase when you come to Jesus, and then you know. <laughs> no, but just listen. Listen to this. How many times has God had to repeat Himself to you? It's more than three. <laughs> seventy times seventy-seven. That's how much I need to forgive too. <laughs> Let that convict you. Let the Holy Spirit convict you on that. That we can beat up Peter because he was difficult three times, but I know I'm well beyond three times, and that's why I need. Like when the Scriptures say, "Don't forsake the gathering or the assembly. Don't forsake the church." It's because I need my brothers and sisters to hold me accountable, or to build me up, or to pray for me, or they don't know the struggles that I'm going through. Maybe it's fleshliness or worldliness or sin or maybe it's like financial ruin or bankruptcy or maybe it's addiction or who knows what it is because people don't come forth and say i'm a terrible rotten sinner this is the things that you guys would look down upon because of the shame and the guilt and our own pride and that's what the enemy uses against us is our pride is our temptations and our desires that's what he uses is the lie his whole thing is jesus came to undo the works of the devil that's what god sent jesus to do that we might be saved and delivered from the evil one. And so all the Satan is trying to do is get you to believe in him, that, that God's a liar, that it's okay, that you can fashion for yourself a God that's okay with your sinful life. When God is calling you to something much greater than that, you know, and it's like, that's why we need each other. That's why it's so important. If you're hearing this now and you don't have a regular church that you go to, try to find a good biblical church. Like, let me encourage you. You're being invited into a family of imperfect people that God is perfecting over time. This is why I absolutely love when 
people come well, to any church, but to Thrive, and they've been coming for a while or however long they've been coming, but as soon as they get involved, it doesn't matter where, whether it's in hospitality, in the tech department, or on the prayer team, or on security, I feel like I get to see a part of those scales fall because they're confidence. They're around like-minded people, and they're having a good time. They, they're in an environment where they feel like it's Jesus's living room. Luke 10, verse 2 says, these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. There's, there's so many people out there walking around with broken hearts, and the enemy does not want those people to, to overcome whatever it is that they're going personally, especially just to accept God as their Lord and Savior. Now, let them get involved with their local church. And, and that's where like the harvest is plentiful. I'm glad you brought this up because this has been on my heart and I feel like the Lord wanted me to bring this up today. Like the church that we're looking at today, right? The modern church in America, right? Is made up of things like a hospitality team. It's made up of like the, the, the prayer team. It's made up of the worship team. It's made up of all these little groups that facilitate some kind of thing to help bring the gospel to people that right. when they come in the door, they might experience the love of Christ and hope right? And the good news of victory. But it's very different from the church 2,000 years ago, right? Which was maybe hiding in the catacombs or whatever. There, 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 there was no hospitality team. There was the, you got to keep no this countdown. really secret team, right? <laughs> but, but how do you keep this a secret? But how do you give this message? Yeah. And it's like, so you have to be kind. So you needed the fruit of the spirit, right? You needed to be friendly to somebody because abiding in Christ or remaining in him and he and you, when you have an intimate relationship, not just a head knowledge, when you have that friendship with the Lord, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is welling up inside of you like a fountain. And the more intimate time you spend with God or in prayer or in fasting or meditation or even reading the word, it just keeps filling like a well until you're like a fountain and it's spraying everywhere. And what that living water is, is it's love, it's, it's peace, it's joy. And in this dark world, that's that salt and the light that someone is attracted to. Mm -hmm. Like the salt brings out the best, it purifies, mm -hmm. right? Or think of it like when it describes it. I think somebody was mentioning uh, nobody lights a, a lamp and puts it under a basket, the salt and light thing. That's what we're called to be, right? So whether you're talking about the church today with technology and social media and all this other stuff, you know, they, they bring the cookies and the coffee or whatever, the, the coffee cake, you know, or or you're going back in time 2,000 years ago, there's nothing new under the sun. Our goal, our mission hasn't changed, the Great Commission, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It just looks a little bit different because of technology and right. because of culture, right? But if we hold fast onto Jesus, it's him that builds the church, it's not us. Right. There's no amount of, oh, these little teasers are gonna get people in, or, or this radio broadcast, or we're gonna put up a billboard. It's actually Jesus bringing forth that increase. Like you talked about it, um, like, like a harvest. One plants the seed, or in this illustration, the word, right? Another waters it, right? The soil being the person's heart, according to the parable of the sower. But it's God that brings the increase of that person. It's God that brings forth the growth. And then he's asking us to partner with him in this commission, the Great yeah. Commission, to maybe till the soil, pull up the rocks, fertilize, right. maybe do a little right. bit of pruning, right. Right. and then to collect the fruit for him and give it to him as first fruits right. in worship and thanksgiving. Well, you know, we started taking credit for things that we have no business taking credit for. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, I, and I've said this before, but 
in the early days, uh, well, even before Thrive was founded, I was trying to get into a church planting organization um, that offers funding and coaching and all of these things to help launch the church. And, you know, I, I'd never done it before, launched something like that. And so I was trying to get all the, you know, coaching I could get. And we ended up uh, getting uh, turned down by the organization, which was actually God working in a great way. But I didn't realize it at the moment. But there was a question that they asked me, and, and it rubbed me the wrong way. And it's probably one of the reasons why I didn't get accepted. But uh, but they said to me, said said, well, what what makes you think that you can build a life giving church? And I said, I can't. I said, it's not up to me to build a life giving church. I can try to help to facilitate an environment where life change can happen, but only Jesus can build the church. Amen. Jesus says He will build the church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Now I'll do everything in my power to not get in the way of that because we can certainly get in the way of that. We can prevent it. You know, one thing, like you, you mentioned the parable of the soils before, um, we have no control over the growth of the seed, but what we can help to do is help to pull the thorns and help to get the rocks out of the soil. We can help to prepare the soil a little bit. So I'm like, I can do that, but I can't bring any growth. And, and I, you know, I think that amongst other things, maybe rub them the wrong way, but I'm like, I, that's my answer. I'm sticking with it. This guy feels powerless. He can't use him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, <laughs> But, but the reality is, is the same thing comes to sharing our faith, too, as, as well. Like, I've seen people over the years, and, and we, we use this terminology, and, and, I, and I get why we, we say things like this, but, you know, oh, I was evangelizing, and, and I led this person to Christ, or I saved this person, or I did this, that, and whatever, this, that, and the third. But the reality of it is, is no one comes to Jesus unless if they're drawn by the Holy Spirit. And, and okay, yeah, Johnny, Dave, Mike, Lenny, Jamie, myself, we all play a role in that. And we better take that role seriously. Mm -hmm. But make no mistake that their salvation is not dependent on us. They're being drawn by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, Johnny, you want to play a part in this? I would love for you to play a part. Here, here's your opportunity. Now, you can blow it, or you can do great with it. Yeah, but it's up for us. It's up to us to steward it as the partnership but ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that saves. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts. It's the Holy Spirit. And this is why sometimes I think the tactics, we talk about like evangelism tactics, and, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And it doesn't matter because you can, you can screw it all up and somebody still come to faith in Jesus Christ because it's the Holy Spirit that's working in them. Or you could do everything exactly right by the book, the Romans Road, the four spiritual laws, you know, whatever it is. You could draw the little diagrams of the gap and the cross sitting in the gap and the person going over the cross. It's like, and the person's like, uh, I'm not ready for it. That was the hardest lesson for me that I ever had to learn was I became so in love with Jesus in the learning of the scriptures and the growth and in the relationship that I formed with God, that I was like, I understand what you want me to do now. Right. And I'm going to go, and dude, and I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. He's a lion from the tribe of Judah. I'm like on fire for I'm the Lord. I'm proud of you, Johnny. And, dude, I'm was, proud of you. Just, just I wait. still am. Dude, it's so funny, right? So, so I'm like, he gave us the authority to trample on scorpions and serpents. And, and I'm like, I'm like, bring her down to the shop. You know what I'm saying? And then and, I, and my sister in Christ, and I, I love her. She's amazing. She brought her best friend. And I'm not going to name names, but she brought her best friend. And I was like cracking my knuckles. I'm going to put another notch in my belt. This is going to be easy because I know all the apologetics answers. I know because I know what she's into. She's into these kind of like new ageism kind of stuff. And, and I spent some time in, in that world for a little while. So I'm like, okay. And then sure enough, it was just like, God was like, 
is that pride that I smell? <laughs> right. And then, and then God's like, well, I don't like the way that smells. I'm leaving. Right. And so he, he withdrew from the situation. And I was like, I was like, man, I said everything right. I had all the right answers. And she just, it was like falling on deaf ears. It, and I was like, but okay. God, like, okay. yeah, but I was like, God, but I checked all the boxes. Right. And then he's just like, bro, your heart is so bad right now. Right. And so I had to actually repent, not of my sins, but I just had to refocus on Christ and not the idea of the act of defeating somebody in mm. spiritual battle, wielding the word and apologetics. But instead, if I had just loved her instead of tried to reprove or correct her, yeah. right. right, then perhaps. So how patient is God with us that in my foolishness, which Lord knows. <laughs> well, well br bring it full circle. You, you could have acted like Ananias. I mean, you know, a, a welcome... Uh, Christian love. So, and you obviously identified that. So, forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. Just, just bringing it full circle to what we've been talking about. And, and that's the thing. It's like you know that, that that pride so easily gets in the way. And when it comes to these things, we start thinking that God is uh, lucky to have us on His team. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, man, man, I'm 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 really accomplishing something for for the kingdom of God. And and I've seen so many quote-unquote ministers uh, over my lifetime who their ministry basically equates to these humble brags, right? It's like, oh, I was doing this, and I went to this country, and I prayed for this person, and they got healed, and I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that. And I'm like, honestly, I don't think you did any of that. Honestly, I think that was, if any of this is true, it was the work of the Holy Spirit. And again, it's the using... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a partnership. Not that we just be like, oh, well, I had no part to play in it. But we start taking credit for what the Holy Spirit does. And I don't know, like, I, I'm i probably wrong, but I think we start to, like, tread under blaspheming the Holy Spirit territory when we start taking too much credit for what the Holy Spirit's doing. It's like saying, no, it, you know what? It really wasn't him. It was me. And, and we start slipping into that. And that's a slippery slope that I think— you know, can get us so easily. It's just like, you know, walking the Christian uh, life is like walking on like the apex of a mountain, the peak, the ridge line, the, the spine of a mountain or, 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 a, or a tightrope even, where it's like, oh, I don't want to fall off on that side. So I lean so far this side, but I end up falling off the other side. It's like, it's a balancing act. It's like, you got to stay there and balance yourself on this you know, uh, precipice in order to stay uh, moving forward. And so realizing, yeah, we have a part to play. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny, you got a part to play, but you, humans are just stupid. Yeah. It's, it's like, we're foolish. Yeah. It's difficult to not the old, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing when the Holy Spirit's working for you and you're excited about it and you're fired up about it, but it's hard that that pride pops up and it, it's yeah. a scary well, thing. A friend of mine talked, we was talking to me about ministry and, how he was uh, going to be, I don't know, retiring from a, a specific pastoral role that he had and, and um, kind of moving on to some other things. But he was like, like God, like, what are you going to do? And like, how is all this going to work out? Because I'm not in this role anymore and I'm moving on to some other things. And, and, uh, and God gave him this vision. And, uh, and he basically said, stick your hand in a bucket of water. And he stuck his hand in a bucket of water. He says, says you, you know, now you know, your hand is in there. It's doing some things. It's moving around. It says, now pull your hand out. Pull his hand out. It says, what hole is left? Because it fills right back in. 
says, are you important? Yeah, while you're in there, you're important, you're doing things. But as soon as you pull your hand out, <laughs> it's like it fills right back in. So it's like, yeah, you're important to what you're doing, but not that important. God will get his work done, you know. You know what it is? It's like we're told to put on the new self in Christ and remember that we're made a new creation in Christ. The old self is dead and gone. It's under the baptismal waters, drowned and dead and gone, right? We've nailed our desires and our passion. But that stuff creeps back on us. Like Paul writes in the book of Romans, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this natural man, from this, this body that, that, that sin is working within, right? And, and if you take a minute to think about that, the whole spiritual warfare thing, I remember this testimony that D.L. Moody gave, right? Uh, this is back in the 1800s. It's like he's an old, like, you know, old, old-timey uh, evangelist and, and preacher. And he gave his life to God. He, like, he wanted to know what a, a life totally and um, completely consecrated to God would look, like, would look like, and he did that. He left being a really wealthy uh, businessman to pursue building churches and uh, witness to people. And he went over to England, and there was this great revival that took place. And he saw all these miracles, right? And then he was taking like a steamship, which back then was like the new technology, back across the Atlantic. And they got into a horrible storm, and it started to capsize and sink. And they got blown off course. And the, the rudder and the engine like was just broken off. So they're just drifting and drifting and basically taking on water very, very slowly. And so the captain's like, you know, hey, uh, we're probably all going to die, uh, Mr. Moody. Would you please get everybody on the ship uh, and just give them a sermon so we could all, they could all receive Jesus and we could all die and go to heaven together? And he was so, D.L. Moody was so mad at God in this moment that he's, he slams the door and he, he says to God, he says, God, what are you doing? To, like, what are you doing this for? Don't you remember what I did for you back in England? Yeah, yeah, he's like, yeah. you know, and, and he, he's screaming at God, I'm D.L. Moody, you can't kill me. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I'm the great evangelist. Yeah. I'm doing this. And it's like, how quickly we forget. And he, he admits in this, he's giving it as a sermon and a preaching, but it's actually the testimony of what really happened. And he says, he says, don't you remember what I did for you? And he goes, I'm not proud of this moment, but God humbled me because here I am. He goes, I didn't even want to preach to these people. I was so mad that God would turn his back on me after all this great work that yeah. I was doing for him. And he goes, but I said, you know, screw it. We're all going to die. I'll just, you know, give the captain his last wish. And he opened up his Bible begrudgingly and he just stuck his finger wherever he saw it. And it took him to the Psalms. And the Psalms talks about how God is the one that controls the ship that's like sinking at sea. And he's the one who pulls back the story. And he goes, it's the God's honest truth. He's like, you know, I got chills basically. Like, you know, the hairs on the back of his neck are standing up. And then he realized in that moment that it's like this verse was almost like written for this exact moment of my life. And he says it re- um, it changed the course of, of his life. It gave him like a reorientation. Right. It set him back on the right course of a humble, contrite servant of the Lord rather than this puffed up with pride and that we got to participate in miracles, you know? So, well, you know, I mean, the, the, the topic of uh, our Bible studies for, you know, how many years have we been meeting now, Dave? I mean, so many years. And, and, and the recurring theme is always this contrast of pride and humility. That's it. That's it. If if you can get anything, get humility, right? That's it. And I mean, that's the thing. Even you look, I mean, you, you mentioned the kind of the landscape of the church world today. Man, if we would embrace humility, we would see God move in unparalleled ways. I think in my studies of humility, it's like I was, I've been trying to be humble, and even that has an air of pride into it. Oh, so, it absolutely so, does. So I read this. It, it's devious, dude. Hold it's on, hold devious. on. Hold on. Track with me. So I, I read this recently, right? And it struck me. It was like getting hit in the face with a hammer. 
it said that humility is not something you do to get closer to God. When you go to God, when you have a relationship with Jesus, humility is the side effect from a relationship with Jesus. So you don't try to humble yourself before God. You go to God. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You so come me. to and then once you have that friendship with God, that service, yep. now you're humble. Yep. But, but he makes it clear. But, but the problem is, is that it's, it's nearly impossible to self-diagnose pride. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. nearly impossible because, like, if you're, we just don't see it in ourselves. We see it in other people. We don't see it in ourselves. And, and I don't have any logs in my eyes. Yeah, and it, about- it's like. It's like, you know, so it, it's it's the awareness. And you're right. I mean, it's hard for us to just purely pursue humility. We pursue Jesus and allow that fruit to, you know, that characteristic to um, be evident in our life. But when we realize that there is pride in our life, if we can realize that, then we realize that we have strayed because Jesus walked with humility. Yeah, I think the path to humility is whether— we could find whether we see the pride in ourselves some way one way or another we have to be divested of pride in order to get to humility so whether we don't see if we don't see it ourselves or see it ourselves or somebody points it out we have to be divested of that in order to approach what johnny's talking about i pray for it you know i pray for it like i picked it up from dave actually watching his prayer life where i ask god to draw out pride from my life like like poison from a wound i'm like you know god will you draw any pride that's in me because we're wrought with pride we are so full of it like you're saying so but i do want to stress that again humility is the side effect of a relationship with jesus and it's like i said this to, to jimmy before we got started every person is as close to god as he or she wants to be so the closer you get to him, the more sinful you're going to feel, but the more you're going to rejoice in the fact that you've been cleansed from that unrighteousness. And now that you're clean, you're like, well, what now, Lord? And he says, pray without ceasing. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Help the, the widow, the, the orphan, the, the poor, et cetera. You know, serve. I love what you guys said a few episodes ago with Dave when he was like, the closer I'm getting, I'm feeling the enemy come harder at me. And then you said, you know, well, if you're on the one-yard line going for the touchdown, you're going to be hit. You're not going to get hit that hard. If you're on the sidelines, you're just right. chilling. You're not going to get hit. The then you get closer to the right. touchdown, you got a target on your back, and they're after you. Exactly. And there's pride. There's pride. There's pride. Yeah, because I, to, to that point, Jimmy, is, is talking about pride again, and we've talked about it forever, as Judah said. Once you think it's gone, or if you do think it's gone, at any time, it's like a snake bite to come back and get you. Whenever you get the thought, man, that was a really humble thing for me to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're screwed. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 never, it never ends. It's, so, it's always there, and you have to be on guard, because I, I equate it to a snake bite. Say, it bites, and you got to spit it up. Spit that poison out of your body. You have to do that. It's always there, and it's ready to attack you. Yeah, and excuse me, Mike was the one that said it. Pardon me. He's the one that was talking about the target. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, any final words to wrap wrap us up here, Mike? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I read uh, I, I read a lot more in uh, Acts 13 and Acts 14. Um, so so yeah, but I, I was I was, I was yeah yeah I was I, I was enjoying listening to y'all talk about uh, you know 10. Um, but yeah, no, I was, uh, you know, noticing that there was another sorcerer coming on. Well, you know, I think through all of this, I think the reminder is uh, walking in, in humility. And, and we see that with Paul, that it took humility. We see that with Ananias, clearly. It took yep. humility for him to take that step and to go and do what he had to do. Um, 
to to pray for for Saul because that was an unlikely situation. Um, but then also for us, and I think that our prayer should be God remove any scales that are covering our eyes, that are covering our heart today. Help us to see clearly, right? See clearly the people that you have for us. Help us to see clearly the pride that is in our own lives. Help us to see clearly the opportunities that you've put in our path um, and then to take advantage of those because because for, for Saul, he regained his sight, but Ananias kind of regained some sight too, you know, of, of being able to say, you know what? I heard God and I followed through with it. And, and here's a guy who in a, let's say a 12 hour span of his life, we don't know how old he lived. We don't know where he was born. We don't know anything about his family. We don't know anything about his history, but in this 12 hour period of time, perhaps he got a vision from God and he obeyed. And here we are thousands of years later talking about the life that he lived, you know, and, the, and that decision that he made. And, and who knows how in the next 12 hours, the decisions that we make, how they could impact the future generations, you know, and that's just a powerful, powerful thing to think about. It's like how our actions in his case, his, his own life may not have accounted much. He may have felt, but he influenced Paul who then influenced us. You know, here we are thousands of years later. So anyhow, that being said, let's wrap up. Next week, we'll continue on here, chapters 8 through 14, and, and maybe some into 15 or whatever else if Johnny brings us there. <laughs> and uh, and we'll, we'll pick back up then. So thank you guys for joining us. And until next week, stay in God's word.